Well, since you guys have already preached my message, I'm just going to pray and we can go home. I don't know if you uh, ate enough turkey. I hope people are not in a turkey coma right now, still digesting. But I need somebody to just get, get excited for the word of the Lord right now. Because it sounds like that there are some things going on in this world, but we serve a God that can fix it. Amen. So are you ready to get into this? Let's go into the word this morning. I felt like I had three titles this morning. But somebody just say, thank God for obedience. (laughs) Because I just feel that the Lord really wants to say something. All the things, all the words that's been spoken this morning, I believe that he wants to break some things off of us. Amen? I believe that he wants to do something outside of what we think outside of our thought process, that he really wants to renew some things. He wants to break the fallow ground in our lives. He wants some things to move. He wants to show you who he is. Amen? Amen. So can we just give it up and shout hallelujah for God one more time? Thank you. Pastor Joe, I guess he's prophetic. He knew his voice was going to be gone, so I'm preaching today. And I'm excited about this word because we are in a new series entitled Rediscovering Christmas. For the next few weeks, there's going to be some awesome words going forward. I'm believing it. But I want to let you in on something. For some reason, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of it at the time. But throughout my studying, I actually continued to speak the, the title continuously inaccurately. I would correct myself, and not a minute after I corrected myself, I would actually speak the title inaccurately again. (laughs) I think Pastor Joe even had to text us and say, well, the title of the Christmas service is Rediscover Christmas. I mean, by by the time I had done this over and over again, I stopped and I actually began seeking if God was trying to tell me something. I'm going to tell you the title, but first... It took me to a place of thinking about how this life is so filled with woes and wounds. And those woes and wounds, they they come in a place in our lives and it begins to distort our confidence in a God who can do anything. I thought about how hard the past few years have been. But I questioned if those years were even the hardest years that we've ever had. I began to wonder what it would be like if people stopped and reflected on that year of loneliness, that year of hurt, that year of health, or that year of self-doubt. But I still questioned if those years would even come close to a year without hope. The title that continued to flow out of my mouth inaccurately, but I understand now it was spiritually stirring up within me, was a resurrected hope. That's what I want to talk about today, and that's it. That's the only point for today is a resurrected hope. I understand now what God is saying. I want you to know I'm not trying to bring us down here, but I'm trying to get you to quickly think about how life would look without hope. If you could preach it from your seat right now, I believe that you would agree with me and understand that hope assisted you in surviving some things that should have humanly killed you. 
I believe that you would say that hope led you out of some things that your mouth put you in. That hope led us out of some places our, pl our pride placed us in. I believe that hope gave us strength and have shown us a way of escape from traumatic times in our life. And most of all, I don't know about you, but hope was that thing. It was that very thing. Hope was that thing that parted the waters between my I quit and my God is a way maker. I don't know if you've ever been stuck in between those waters of I quit and my God is a way maker. That we want to give up, but we serve a God, a living God. Amen? Amen. So God clearly showed me in, my, in the inaccuracy of my own statement that there has been, get this, some hope lying dormant in the heart, in the spirit, in the bodies of his people, and it's time for it to be resurrected. <laughs> Somebody just say resurrected. resurrected. What hope is and what it isn't, Hope is not the wishful thinking we experience in this society. That things like, I, I hope I make it on time. I, I hope this is the winning ticket. I, I hope God turns this thing around. That's just wishful thinking. But the word of God refers to hope as, somebody say, a sure thing. <laughs> that you can fully expect Fully expect to receive, even though you have not fully obtained it as of yet, it is an unshakable expectation in the promise God already spoke to you. Now, I want you to receive this because Hebrews 6 and 19 says that this hope we have as an anchor of, of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Well, it's sure, so therefore you can be confident without doubt. It's steadfast, which means that it's unwavering. There's another version of this scripture that says this hope is strong and trustworthy anger. It allows us to enter behind the veil, to be behind the curtain in God's sanctuary. So think about it. If you look at the season we've been in while looking forward to the season we're actually entering, it should bring us to an agreement that if there's ever been a year we needed Christ and the hope he brings, this is that year. Anybody believe that? So let's talk about the holiday season. Because leading up to Christmas, which is also known as Advent, I want to talk about this because when the world enters the season of Christmas, it becomes a season that is overwhelmingly busy. Our schedules are packed with so many, get it, seasonal things. Our stores are driving the season through the spirit of purchasing decor or merchandise and fueling gift buying and traffic frenzies. If you don't believe me, just go to Highland, to the Highlands on 20 during this season. Our season of peace is quickly overloaded as a season of stress because we become distracted from the reason and consumed by the season. See, this should not be a season of pretending to be happy or covering up the pain and hardships we put off to deal with in January. Only to rename the pain and the hardships as a New Year's resolution. See, it should be a season of digging up, come on, into the reality of what it means that God, his son, was sent, right? Emmanuel, to be God with us, among us, on this earth. It should be a season, somebody say expectation. 
It should be a season of expectation and a preparation and an opportunity to align ourselves with God's presence more than the hectic season of buying gifts and receiving presents. I want to say that it's an opportunity to set all the distractions aside and a time to prepare our hearts and focus on a far greater story than the one we're striving to write for ourselves. What's that story? That focus should be on the actual story of a God that redeems. Anybody know that he's a redeemer? A God that redeems who shares his redeeming love for our world. So I want to invite you in for about the next two hours and seven minutes. <laughs> That's for the people who are still digested. In, in that moment, they had a resurrected <laughs> experience right there. <laughs> but for the next few moments, I want to invite you into a season of a resurrected hope. We've been, you've heard the words even today, that we've been in a season of relational drought. A season of division. We've been in a season of loss. But I want to let you know that regardless of the season, his promises are a resounding. Somebody said yes. In 2 Corinthians 1 and 20, it says, For all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Now, I want you to receive this because maybe... You've had a time in your life that God promised you something. Let me ask it as a question. Have you ever been promised something and lost confidence on the way to receiving it? I want that to sit in because I want to expound and encourage you right here because often when our confidence in what we were promised is lost or impacted, we often consider it a derailment of the promise. But we should see it as a strengthening in the promise while continuing to journey to receive it. I'm excited about this because in Hebrews, it it tells us and it reminds us and it says, so don't throw away the confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. In 36, it says patient endurance. I would write that on the refrigerator somewhere. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Somebody say, then you will receive all that he has promised. Now, if if I had to place a title on this part of the sermon, it would be wait on him. But I'm going to say it like my grandmother, wait on him. (laughs) It would be wait on him because... I want to make sure you didn't miss it because in verse 36, when it says patient endurance is what you need now, remember this, Jesus promised that he would return and he instructed those who were following him to wait on him. You may be asking yourself, well, how do I wait? What do we do in the meantime? What does the waiting look like? One thing is this, that waiting doesn't mean to do nothing. It doesn't mean to wait until something happened. It doesn't mean to sit at the dock of the bay. <laughs> Maybe somebody will get that scripture. <laughs> Watching time. <laughs> Maybe you'll get that, but it's, it, it's really, it's not about doing nothing. Right. So it, it's important how you wait. Yes. We'll get to that. 
But the discipline of waiting, it not only stirs up confidence, but it also displays that confidence in a God who can do the impossible. Now, in Isaiah, it says this in 40 and 31, it said, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I want to unpack this. But those who wait, another form of that in that scripture, wait also means hope. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Now, get this. I love that because when you read the, the pretext and everything behind this scripture, it's really saying to us that you're not, when you lose hope or when you lose strength, it's saying that you're not only going to gain the strength you lost, but you're going to get some new stuff with it. So you're going to regain the strength that you lost, but it's also saying that you will gain new strength. So I'm going to get what I lost, I'm going to get some new stuff with it, and it's going to renew my power. When my power is renewed, I gain a different perspective of my authority. Once I start speaking it, here comes victory. Maybe I'm just excited about it, but those, (laughs) come on, that I'm going to get new strength, but I'm going to get everything I lost back. I want it all back. But it also says, get this part, but those who wait. I want you to remember this for the rest of the sermon. But those who wait, who is it talking about? Those who are walking in a life of expectancy with Christ. Those who are looking. Those who are being watchmen and looking for what God has already spoke. And those who are continuing to have hope in him. Expectancy, looking for it, having hope in him. Get it? It's important. Because as the scripture goes on, it says they will lift their wings and rise up. It's when they lift their ring, wings, that means that they're rising up close to God in their situation. They're going to they're gonna mount up like eagles rising toward the sun. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not grow tired. In what? In their waiting. A lot of times you read that scripture and you think they're moving. No. It's saying they're not going to grow weary. They're not going to grow tired, not because they're running, but because they're waiting. But it's how they're waiting, their trust in God, waiting on a God who can do the impossible. Somebody just say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, there is a powerful story. I almost wanted to, like, do a duo duo sermon right here with Pastor Joe. (laughs) Loving this story. And there's a powerful example in the Bible through two people by the name of Simeon. And honor. Now, let me provide you with a narrative to this story leading to Simeon and Anna because I believe we can reflect this on our own life. So as I read through, I want you to reflect on where the world is right now and maybe even where you are in your own individual world. See, when we go back to the story of Christ being born regarding the prophecy and the birth, get this. The beginning of the narrative actually begins in the hills of Jerusalem, where Israel's ancient prophet was sharing that God himself would come one day and establish his kingdom all over the earth. Now, during this time, the backdrop of this story coming up to Christ's birth, Israel was a defeated nation under the Roman Empire. It had been thousands of years since Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the calling of God's people. 
Now, there had been thousands of years of being invaded and conquered by enemies, and it had been generations and generations since God's formation of his covenant, of his covenant with who? Humanity, promising that a Messiah would come and make things right. A Messiah in believing that he was going to show up, that he was going to bless humanity and restore all that they had messed up since God's great creation in the beginning. You with me? Now, think of this. Understand that the thought of a Messiah who would come to make everything right and offer redeeming love to the world wasn't just a passive thought or idea that drifted in and out of the consciousness of Israelites. It was their deepest hope that sustained and encouraged them to press on. That's, that was their anchor. That's what they held on to. That's what moved them forward. You have to get it that they had experienced thousands of years of uncertain waiting. Ever been there? That you're waiting, but it's very, it's uncertain waiting. Now, in the midst of all of this, you have Simeon and Anna. They both had been waiting for the freedom of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem. They had lived their whole lives with hope of knowing that it was coming. Because God had promised it repeatedly throughout his word. I want to tell you, I'm going to pause. There's something that stood out to me, and I hope Pastor Joe is not the only person that gets this. But if you, it was so deep to me. If you think about what's happening in this story, there's a baby about to be born. If you go back to Genesis, it says that a woman's seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. So when you see that it's saying that it's been basically dripping water on this prophecy all throughout the word. So if you think of Simeon and Anna, they, they, they stood on it because they, they saw how God had promised it repeatedly throughout his word. They, they had unshakable certainty. Somebody say hope. That they knew a Messiah, a Savior was on the way. Now, Simeon, who was he? He was a righteous and devout man of Jerusalem whom the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would see the Messiah in his lifetime before he died. Anna, on the other hand, she was an elderly woman, a prophetess who had before prophesied at the temple of Jerusalem about Jesus. She had spoken already. So the account of Luke beginning in chapter 2, what you can do, you can go to chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 in your Bibles right now because there's going to come a point that you're going to need to follow along with this story to really get it for your life. Because it places us at the beginning of the birth of Jesus. But guess what's happening at the same time? It also discreetly begins to unpack the hope of Simeon and Anna coming alive. Now, here it is, the birth of Jesus. I'm going to jump around, and some of them are going to be on the screen. But I want you to think about this. Verse 7, chapter 2, is talking about Mary gave birth to a firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. When you go over to verse 8, it starts to intro the shepherds and the angels. What was going on here is that it talked about that that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. They were guarding their flocks of sheep. And they talk, it talks about how suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and, and, it, and his radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. In verse 10, it tells you that the angel basically came and he's telling the shepherds, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. 
What was that? They say the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. It says, you, here's the sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. I want you to notice something here. The shepherds now start to believe because of what they've seen. But blessed are those who believe without seeing. <laughs> the shepherds are now running around the town telling everyone what has happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Now, at this point of the story, Jesus is going to be presented in the temple. If you go down to Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 21, it says that eight days later when the baby was circumcised, we're going somewhere, he was named Jesus. It says the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. In verse 22, it says, Then was the time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. Now, if you go down to verse 23, it says that the law of the Lord says if a woman's firstborn child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So here comes Simeon and Anna. The prophecy here in Luke, beginning at verse chapter 2 still at verse 27, it says that day the spirit led him to the temple. Led who? Simeon. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, Jesus, to the Lord as required by the law, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and prayed and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. He said, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He, in verse 32, he is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. In verse 33, he says, Jesus' parents were amazed. The shepherds are amazed. The parents are amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, the baby's mother, he says, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. This is good. We're going somewhere. But drop down to verse 38. Here's Anna. It says that she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. They both all of a sudden walk in praising while everyone else is surprised. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly. It says she talked to everybody about the child who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Now, notice that everyone else was surprised by what was happening except Simeon and Anna. They understood that they had found the Messiah even before the proof had been revealed to everyone else. See, they knew he was coming and seemed to know it would be in their lifetime. They didn't. I love this. They didn't see Jesus perform not one miracle. I almost imitated my grandmama again. Noun miracle. <laughs> they didn't see Jesus perform not one miracle yet, yet they knew that he was the one and the promise. But notice this. It was those who had spent their life committed to the call of God. Those who were grounded in the word. Those who had and who would spend days in the temple worshiping and believing for the breakthrough. 
were not surprised by what had taken place. A matter of fact, in that moment, their hope was being repositioned for joy. That's why they walked in and began praising. Because they had been hopeful, now they're being repositioned to joy. All this time in their life, while everyone else was saying, how long, oh God? Have you ever said that? Everyone else is crying out. That was the cry of the Israelites. They kept saying, how long, oh God? And they said, and how long can hope survive? Simeon and Anna was looking at everyone. I could just imagine this and th- because their attitude wasn't that at all. Their attitude was like, he's on the way. Everyone is crying out, but they're walking in this hope with the attitude of he's on this way. See, the reason they could recognize it was the Messiah is because they knew what to look for. (laughs) While others missed it. They didn't lose confidence on the way to receiving the promise. I feel like I'm the only one excited. (laughs) They they didn't lose confidence on the way to the promise. The Holy Spirit was revealing things to them throughout their life. Now, if you think about it, while they were operating with great expectancy, they were also paying attention. They knew what to look for. There's those three things again. Who? Expectancy, right? Knowing what to look for. Remaining, sustaining your hope in him. See, Simeon and Anna had waited all their lives for the Messiah. Now at the temple, they recognized Jesus as the promised one. We want to let you know that Jesus' birth brought hope. Can I help you? Maybe you're in a season in your life of drought right now. Maybe you're in a season of defeat. Maybe you're in a season of doubt. Maybe you're in a season of giving up or even a season that I just don't know. I dare you to wait on him because he wants to resurrect your hope. He wants to give you what he promised. In Proverbs 13 and 12, I think it sets the the stage of this to close. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Now understand that when it utilizes the word dream, it's also replaced as desire. That those desires in your heart. I love the tree of life because if you see it as the tree of life, God is that tree of life in our lives, that we can sit around that tree. That tree is bearing fruit. That it's God life being imparted into us. All right? We can eat from that tree <laughs> to receive and continue having that hope. I want to tell you when I was young, I would hear people in ministry sing a line of this song that went like this. If I hold my peace and allow the Lord to fight my battles, victory shall be mine. I would think about that. I was a musician. I would be sitting there. Okay, if I hold my peace, let the Lord fight my battles, victory shall be mine. I would think about the details of those lyrics and I would wonder if they meant do nothing, stand still, and or believe that in the midst of a battle that the Lord will show up and fight for me. Now, as I became an adult and experienced my own battles and began growing in my faith, I began to grow and learn that the preparation before the battle is where the victory is in the making. (laughs) See, the thing about it is if you ask yourself the question of how do I wait, 
How you wait is, is important for the victory. How you wait is important for the breakthrough. When you lose hope in your waiting, you lose the breakthrough. Matter of fact, you give it away. See, if you reference Romans 4 and 21, you will, you will see that in your waiting, you will be fully persuaded. That what he promised, he is able also to perform. See, hope is not based on us. Hope is not based on you, but it's based on God. Think about it. The one who truly believes and has faith will act on God's word with perfect assurance. With perfect assurance that his request will be granted. I want to help you right here. Think about the story of Abraham. God gave Abraham a promise that took 25 years. I know some people here right now, God, please, not 25 years. One, six months almost killed me. <laughs> not 25. <laughs> not 25. But even when there, the word said that even when there was no reason for hope, that Abraham kept hoping. He kept believing that he would become the father of many nations. It's not to say that he wasn't going through things. That he wasn't going through confusion in his own mind or rejection or, or troubled waters, but he continued to press on in his hope. But why did he continue to believe it? The word says, for God has said it to him. See, Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, the word says that he figured his body was good for dead, but Abraham never wavered. In believing God's promise, he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promised. Now, during this time of the year, people are busy making plans and gift ideas to store under a tree. But how many people are making plans to store up hope? Y'all were quiet on that one. That was an all, man. <laughs> I get it. But how many people are really working to store up hope? Let's do a hope evaluation real quick. Is your hope flaming or is your hope smoldering? I ask this question because I want to focus on the people that may feel like their hope is smoldering. I'm an inspector and what I know about smoldering fires, they're actually the most dangerous. So I want to give you some confidence because if you're if you feel as though your hope is smoldering, it doesn't mean it's not effective. Because smoldering fires are some of the most dangerous. What, what am I saying to you? I'm saying that don't lose hope because you feel as though you can't see your flame. You know how you feel excited? I used to say it like this, you know, you can praise them when the refrigerator is full. But your hope is showing when it's empty. I don't know if you've ever had a mustard sandwich before, but maybe I'm talking to the wrong crowd. But I'm talking about the mustard sandwich, the syrup sandwich Christians in the house right now. But I'm talking about when the refrigerator is empty. You may feel as though your hope is smoldering. That's all right because your God... He's a consuming fire. He's got it all covered. But is your hope smoldering or is it flaming? 
See, the enemy wants you to view your thoughts through the lens of your circumstances. And if he can get you to look through the lens of your circumstances versus the lens of what you have been promised, let me tell you why he wants to do that. He wants you to lose sight of the promise so that he can rob you of your hope. See, if I take my eyes off the promise, what is there to hope for? It's like somebody putting a huge target on this back wall and me turning my head and saying, I'm going to try to hit it. It's not going to happen. Your eyes have to stay on the promise because that's your target. For the people that's like, I don't even know where I am in my life right now. I'm still stuck in COVID. I'm still stuck in 2020. I'm trying to get back to some type of reality of normalcy. You need a target. You need something to hit. I want to tell you what we said earlier about that believing is seeing. I shared this with the teens last week. Bless those, right, who believe, can't see. I want to help you here because you would think, last thing, you would think, I heard this minister, you would think that if my motive is right, that I would always have an open door. I'm serving God. I'm praising God. I'm doing all the things God called me to do. I would think that I would always have an open door. When doors close, it, it, it really lets you know what type of waiter you are. When doors close, it really lets you know what type of waiter you are. Impatient waiter, nervous waiter, hate waiting. It puts you in a place and saying, wait a minute. I didn't, I didn't know that I really didn't like to wait for anything. I really didn't know that I was that much of a microwavable Christian. I, I am so old school that sometimes I know, I love my wife, I could drive her crazy. See, I'm one of those people that if I'm going to eat leftovers, I got to sit them out on the stove like around 2 o'clock. So they room temperature to, to about 4 or 5. Because I know if I wait on it, (laughs) the moisture of how it tasted before, it's going to be better. I just, I I, I really don't mind waiting, but get this. I'm so glad that God used Paul to show us that we can have church in chains with the doors closed. And when our hope breaks out in worship, chains fall off, doors fly open. Can somebody just stand to your feet right now if you receive that? Hold on. Did you get that? Paul shows up. He's ministering. He's having hope even though the word is being rejected. He's having pushback. He has every reason not to go forward believing what God told him to do. He was doing such a great job that they locked him up. But in the midst behind closed doors, Paul found some hope. And he said, I'm in chains. I'm locked up. But he breaks out in worship. And chains fall off and the doors fly open. Let me tell you why. Because he knew that he was serving a God that turns obstacles into opportunities. That turns binding into breakthrough. That turns division into multiplication. 
Come on. A God who gives beauty for ashes. A God who allows us to shout in the presence of our enemies. A God who gives hope to the hopeless. I'm going to close this. We serve a God of hope. I, I challenge you to press into that hope like never before because if you keep your eyes on your circumstances... If you continue to water that seed, that's what's going to grow. But God is calling for a resurrected hope right now. So in Romans 8, 24 through 26, I felt this this morning. I just want to read it to you. It says, for in this hope we, we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we will wait patiently. We will wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So regardless that you feel as though your hope is smoldering, just know that God is in, he's in the background groaning. <laughs> he's calling out for your life. And so as the prayer team comes down, I just want to believe that however you walked in here today, wherever you were in your season of hope, I want to let you know that hope, God wants to reposition your hope for joy. He wants to show you who he really can be in your life. No matter your age, I love the word that it says, whether you're 50, 60, 70, don't lose hope. You're young. I was talking to one of my mentors. I was talking about the past. I was like, yeah, I pastors. And he was asking me their age. He's like, man, they're young. That's the conversation. You got to know that God is not done with you yet. For some of us, you thought he was done, but maybe he's starting. He's always renewed. If we believe that God is doing a new thing, and then he says, haven't I already told you this? That means he did a new thing last year. He's doing a new thing this year. He's going to do a new thing next year and so on. Lift your hands all over this building right now. Lord, we just come to you right now for a resurrected hope, for a shift in our belief system, for us to begin to cry out to you like never before, Lord, and just believe to see past our circumstances to be intentional, to live a life with, of expectancy, learning what to look for, to sustain our hope in you. So God, we pray right now that you just bring a mighty move over every person in this building. Lord, resurrect their hope, Lord. Meet them at that place where they're needed for you to carry them if they can't walk. Lord, we give you honor, we give you praise, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Somebody say hallelujah. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Man, if you could just lift your hands to give confidence of those to come on down and to receive prayer, you can pray right there with your family, but the prayer team is here for you. We're going to continue worshiping and believing God for that resurrected hope. Come on, worship.